Ben Goldfarb was looking forward to a perfect kayaking trip at Padre Island National Seashore in Texas. Then, unseasonable weather blew his plans apart, and he found himself falling face-first into the frigid waters of the Laguna Madre. Today, I share some of my conversation with this award-winning journalist about his new feature story in National Parks Magazine and how he built his career traveling to exciting places and writing about them. I'm Jennifer Eric, and this is The Secret Lives of Parks. I am so proud to announce that The Secret Lives of Parks won two awards earlier this month in the North American Travel Journalists Association Travel Media Awards Competition. We were recognized with the gold and the silver awards in the travel podcast category, the gold for episode 11, Telling the Truth, on the work to create a national park site honoring Emmett Till and Mamie Till Mobley, and the silver for episode 9, An American Hero Turns 200, on the deep significance Harriet Tubman still has two centuries after her birth. We received these honors alongside four awards that NPCA's flagship publication, National Parks Magazine, won, including a gold award for my colleague Catherine DeGroff's delightful cover story last winter, Park Inc., on the vibrant community of people devoted to collecting park stamps. You can listen to all of our past podcast episodes at thesecretlivesofparks.org and read years' worth of our insightful, deeply reported magazine features at npca.org magazine. Thank you to all our readers and listeners for supporting our National Park Storytelling. One gray skied afternoon last November, my wife Elise and I stood in the frigid shallows off Padre Island National Seashore, shifting our weight nervously in booty-clad feet. Our neoprene wetsuits clung to us as though we'd been shrink-wrapped. Our ungainly windsurfing boards bumped against our knees. The wind, so fierce that even the gulls struggled to make headway, kicked up whitecaps. The water was 80 degrees two days ago, said Olivier Gillet, our tan, well-coiffed instructor, who looked as unruffled as we felt apprehensive. A shallow body of water cools down quickly. So begins Ben Goldfarb, an award-winning conservation writer whose recent adventures at Padre Island are the basis for Into the Wind, a new feature story in the spring issue of National Parks Magazine, which hits mailboxes this week. Padre Island National Seashore protects the largest undeveloped barrier island in the world, located on the Gulf Coast of Texas and recognized by the American Bird Conservancy as a globally important bird area. In the feature, Ben describes how he salvages what was supposed to be a sunny kayaking trip after he's instead greeted with chilly, gusty weather. He decides to learn how to windsurf, an activity that has him hurtling again and again from his board into the cold waters of the bay, blurring the line between slapstick comedy and the risk of bodily injury. This was not the travel assignment Ben had been looking forward to. 
Honestly, I really wanted to go fishing. I'm a very avid fly fisherman and the Laguna Madre, that's the hypersaline lagoon that's trapped between the Barrier Island, Padre Island, and the Texas mainland. It's just a, you know, a, a famous, wonderful fishery for you know, sea trout and redfish and all kinds of other species. So when the magazine mentioned, hey, you know, what do you think about going to Padre Island? My fishing radar immediately went up and said, oh, yeah, I, I absolutely want to go because I want to go kayak fish the Laguna Madre, this, this famous body of water that I've always read about and, you know, seen pictures of in saltwater fishing magazines and, uh, you know, had never actually been to myself. Ben had also convinced his wife, Elise, to join him. And the two imagined that they'd enjoy a multi-day boating adventure similar to others they'd had at another noteworthy warm weather park. My wife came with me and she and I, we love kayak camping. We've done a lot of that in, in Everglades National Park where you, know, you just get in a kayak and, uh, you know, and, and paddle from island to island or chicky to chicky. They have these wonderful little wooden platforms in, in the Everglades. So we, we've done a, a number of trips, kayak camping trips. And, we, you know, we were like, oh, this is going to be fantastic. We'll do the same thing in Padre Island. So that was the concept. We were just going to get in the kayak, pile our stuff in, paddle down there and just be in this remote place for a few days. It wasn't until they arrived at Bird Island Basin, a major access point to the Laguna Madre on the north end of Padre Island, that Ben and Elise realized that their plans would need to change and change fast. We've been keeping an eye on the, on the forecast and, and had a little bit of trepidation. And then as soon as we pulled up to Bird Island Basin, which is the, the part of uh, Padre Island National Seashore, that those trips launched from on the Laguna Madre side of the, of the barrier island, uh, it was just instantly clear the moment we got out of the car that this was just nuts. Um, you know, we, I think it could have theoretically happened, but it, it would not have been fun. This big weather front had rolled in and the winds were steady 20 25 miles an hour gusting to 40 probably and we realized that if we got in our kayaks and tried to go south we would get to our destination in you know like 15 minutes <laughs> you know it, 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 the winds were at our back and then we'd never be able to get back again uh you know, we'd be, we would be stuck down there forever uh just you know paddling pointlessly into the teeth of the gale And so Ben and Elise decided to sail into a different fate, harnessing the park's famously strong breezes by riding on rented windsurfing boards. Ben wasn't exactly a natural at it, and he describes himself early in the story as wobbling to his feet and trying to stay upright like a newborn fawn. I asked if the metaphor came to him in that moment or if he thought of it after he had spent time reflecting on the experience. It's definitely an apt metaphor. I was so unstable and, and shaky. And I think that probably did just pop into my head at that moment. You know, I mean, we were, we were out on the, on the Laguna windsurfing, or in my case, attempting to windsurf. And, you know, every half an hour or so, I would just try to navigate over to the shore where I had my little pile of belongings, including my notebook, and just jot my impressions from the last, the last 30 minutes or so of splashing face first into the Laguna repeatedly. I think that came to me and I tried to save it in my head long enough to get back to shore to quickly write it, write it down. <laughs> All those notes served Ben well. Rolling with the change in plans, he was able to explore the history, beauty, and unusual sense of solitude on this barrier island with a poetic elegance that stands in contrast to his shaky start in the lagoon. Here's another passage from the story, setting up an exploration into the island's long geologic and human history. The day before Elise and I tried our hands at windsurfing, 
we'd driven four hours to Padre Island from Austin, past the sprawling petrochemical plants that fringe Corpus Christi, across the causeway that connects the island to the mainland, and onto the seashore's central road. The refineries and motels vanished, replaced by rolling dunes carpeted in bluestem and sea oats, a grassy pelt that shivered and shimmered like the fur of some great mammal. The muted landscape, unadorned by trees, was shaded in every hue of beige and brown and gray. A few late-season monarch butterflies tumbled along on their way to Mexico. It was hard to argue with then-Interior Secretary Stuart Udall, who, when this land was designated a national seashore in 1962, wrote that its great size and remote character give Padre Island a wild spaciousness. This quote from Udall is one of several noteworthy historic references that give readers a fuller picture of the island. In another passage that follows, Ben shares part of a letter from Ulysses S. Grant, written decades before his time as president and Civil War general, sharing a romantic reflection on the seashore's windswept beauty. When I asked Ben where he found these fantastic quotes, his answer is one that I, and I'm sure other park lovers, can relate to. That is courtesy of a book that I got at the Padre Island National Seashore Visitor Center. Mary Jo O'Rear, uh, her book, Barrier to the Bays, the islands of the Texas coastal bend in there and their past. I always try to do whenever I go on any kind of reporting trip, it's just read as much as I can either beforehand uh, or in this case, as soon as I got back. And this is a fantastic little book that I definitely recommend to anybody interested in the history of Padre Island because there's just some, some amazing human history there. The Barrier Island's storied past is, of course, far richer than Ben had room to share in his article. So much of the Mexican-American War was staged there, and all of the, the Spanish sailors who were washed ashore in various shipwrecks over the years. This was a little piece of land that was at the center of so many larger geopolitical forces. The Civil War was not exactly fought there, but the Union and the Confederate armies were sort of clashing in that general area. And then all of the history of wildlife exploitation, too, from uh, waterfowl and wading birds being shot for hats to the harvest of sea turtles. I mean, there's just a lot of really amazing history happened on Padre Island and in that larger coastal bend of South Texas. Ben also shares some of the new threats that climate change is bringing to the island, and especially to its wildlife. I asked him if he had been expecting to balance his travel narrative with larger climate themes when he began the story or if the threats became clearer as he spoke with his contacts at the park. When you go to a barrier island, you just know that climate change is going to be part of the story. You know, you're at, you're at this low-lying, thin slice of land that has water on both sides of it. And you don't have to be super well-versed in the sea level rise literature to know that, that that's on the front lines of, of climate change. And certainly, I mean, that was a, some, a theme that came up in my conversations with all of the conservationists and park staff who I, I spoke to was, what does the future mean for this barrier island? He points out a specific example of how sea level rise is having unintended consequences on the park's bird population. In the Laguna side of the barrier island, there are all of these little nesting islands. Some of them are natural, but a lot of them were actually created by the Army Corps of Engineers when they dredged out a shipping channel down Laguna Madre and they, and they took all of the fill that they dredged up and they just kind of heaped it to these little islands. And those little islands became 
you know, these fantastic little nesting and resting spots for this huge array of shorebirds and wading birds that pass across the Laguna Madre during their northern migrations. They're really dependent now on those little islands because so much of their other habitat has been lost to human development. But now those little islands are vanishing. They're sort of being covered up by sea level rise. And they're also eroding really fast because they were never, they're just kind of these like loose piles of fill from the bottom of the Laguna. And now the Park Service and the Army Corps and various nonprofits that work in that area are sort of wrestling with what do we do here? These are unnatural habitats that fill a really important function at this point, and we're, we're losing them very rapidly. What do we do about that? Do we try to protect them? Do we build new ones? Do we just let sea level rise run its course and hope the birds will figure it out? As an environmental journalist, I'm just fascinated by those kinds of conflicts. How do we manage nature in a world that we've fundamentally altered as, as humans? Ben draws parallels with the last story he wrote for National Parks Magazine in our summer 2022 issue, Troubled Waters, about invasive fish that were once intentionally stocked in national park lakes and streams, and the complex, sometimes counterintuitive measures conservationists have taken to try to undo the damage those animals have caused to native fish and their larger ecosystems. We'll include a link to the story in the show notes. You know, there are all of these non-native fish species, rainbow trout, brown trout, brick trout that were stocked often by the Park Service in Yellowstone that are now wreaking havoc in many ways on the native cutthroat trout. And it's this ecological disaster. But, you know, it also forces us to ask some really hard questions about the amount of killing we're willing to do for the sake of, quote unquote, historic or pristine or natural ecosystems. I think there's an interesting tension in some ways between how we treat individual animals animals and how we treat entire ecosystems. So I'm, just, I'm just drawn to those sorts of ecological conflicts, I think. You might wonder how Ben got the kind of job where people pay him to take trips to national parks and write about them. For him, it started with doing the kind of field work that he now writes about other people doing. I've always loved nature and the outdoors and wildlife, especially. I've always loved to write. After college, I, I had a bunch of field ecology tech jobs. I worked for the National Park Service in, in Yellowtone for a season. Did some sea turtle tagging. I, I worked for the New York City Parks and Recreation Department doing urban forestry work. I always loved that kind of field ecology type work. And somewhere along the line, I just realized that I, I loved writing about the work more than anything else. And over time, it just became clear that I wanted to write about the people doing this kind of work rather than be one of those people myself, I think. Ben took trips with his family as a child that sparked his love of the outdoors and laid the foundation for his long-term fascination with a particular charismatic rodent. I grew up in the New York City suburbs and my parents and I, would, we would often go up to the Catskills and the Adirondacks, these wilder, very beavery places in New York. I was always around beavers, uh, hiking, fishing, camping. You know, I have a very early memory as a kid of being on a, a lake in a canoe at night and hearing a beaver tail slap three feet from the canoe, which practically gave all of us a heart attack, I think.
But it wasn't really until I became a, a journalist that I became a true beaver believer, as our little cult of beaver lovers calls themselves. I was looking for things to write about. I was living in Seattle and I went to this uh, beaver workshop. I didn't know what a beaver workshop was, but somebody sent me a flyer and I thought, oh, that, that sounds like maybe there's a story there. So I went to this beaver workshop and it was just this one scientist after another getting up to say their piece about why beavers were so important for salmon habitat creation and stream restoration and fire mitigation and carbon sequestration and water quality, all these incredible ecosystem services that beaver ponds and wetlands provide. And, you know, I sort of realized that this animal that I had grown up with and thought was, you know, this kind of cute, fun, interesting rodent was actually one of the primary movers and shakers in, in North American ecosystems and was this really important agent of ecological restoration. So I wrote some stories about beavers and that culminated in this book about beavers eager that I, I wrote. And I've, you know, I've been writing about beavers ever since then. Maybe I was being a little too glib when I asked Ben why he'd go to Padre Island where there are no beavers. You know, I have other interests, Jennifer. I'm not just a beaver guy. Okay, fair enough. But I had to know, did he at least have fun on his trip? I'm not a strong swimmer myself, and the idea of falling off a surfboard and then enduring several days of blustery weather is not my idea of a great time. Yes, we definitely had fun. I mean, I, I can't say that every minute was fun. I remember maybe our first or second night there being at our campground. I mean, we're the only tent campers at this campground. Everybody else has the good sense to be in their RVs. And we're sitting in this backpacking tent that we were going to take on the kayaking trip. And it's just, we honestly felt like we were going to be blown away in the night. The fly is just flapping so loud that, you know, you can barely sleep. And a campground host actually asked if we wanted some concrete blocks to use as additional ballast because she was worried about us being blown into the Gulf of Mexico. That wasn't uh, exactly fun. Still, Ben is a good sport and the park won him over. On the whole, it was fantastic. It's a beautiful place. It it's, just has this incredibly lovely, very austere beauty about it. There's There are basically no trees anywhere. It's just this kind of endless rolling set of grassy dunes backdropped by water on both sides. So it's, it's really a unique landscape, quite lovely. I mean, the birding is just amazing. I'm a, a very casual birder, but I love a good piping clover or ruddy turnstone or red knot as much as the next guy. And, and uh, the birding was just fantastic. So yeah, I, I, had a, I had a great time, Jennifer. Definitely not quite the trip that uh, we were anticipating, but I mean, it's hard to go to a national park and not have a really good time. Uh, and I, I certainly did. Here's another passage from Ben's story, Into the Wind, describing the first night of his stay at Padre Island and highlighting some of the solitude he found at the seashore. That night, after we'd disposed of our garbage and eaten a cold dinner at our picnic table, leftover tacos from the roadside diner where we'd grab breakfast, we returned to wander the beach. We had the park to ourselves, all the RVers at Malachite Campground seemed to be hunkered in front of the same college football game, and even the ghost crab burrows looked vacant. Sheets of wind-blown sand scurried back and forth, a testament to the shifting nature of this place. After we left the beach and took to the main road, we walked straight down its center line, never once disturbed by a car. I wondered how many parks were ever empty enough to permit such a thing. According to Ben, this solitude stood in contrast to the character and charm of the town surrounding the park. 
in addition to hanging out on Padre Island National Seashore, you know, let's spend a couple of days exploring the area, Port Aransas, Corpus Christi. And I loved that whole area. So many wonderful beaches, fantastic seafood. Of course, it's National Parks Magazine, you know, obviously focused on the park. But it would have been fun to write a little bit about the broader geosocial context. I just loved how empty it was, how much solitude you could really find there very close to the extremely densely settled Texas Gulf Coast. That's pretty unique, I think. Another big factor that made Ben's trip so special? Having a lease with him. Early in his career, Ben would regularly go on reporting trips with her, and she was an invaluable sounding board and thoughtful critic of his work. Now, as her own career has taken off, she can't join him as frequently as she used to for these kinds of adventures. But Padre Island brought her a special kind of joy that Ben might just be able to work to his advantage in the future. If my wife, Elise, were to listen to this podcast, she would just want me to emphasize how much better she was at windsurfing than I was. <laughs> she was she was really a natural. If I was like the, the newborn fawn wobbling on his board, she was like the female pronghorn, you know, just galloping with incredible facility and adroitness over the prairie. That was just a source of, of endless delight for her, you know, because we also took some video of us windsurfing. And a few nights later, we were in a hotel, you know, on her way back home to Colorado. And I just heard her laughing to herself. And I looked over and she was just watching the videos of us, you know, for the 10,000th time as I just face planted in the Laguna Madre repeatedly. Elise, if you're listening to this, I acknowledge your windsurfing superiority and I look forward to doing it again with you sometime. You can read the full story with beautiful photos by Ketty Braun and tips for taking your own trip at npca.org slash into the wind. The Secret Lives of Parks is a production of the National Parks Conservation Association. Episode 16, Behind the Scenes at Padre Island, was produced by me, Jennifer Eric, with help from Todd Christopher, Bev Stanton, Rona Marek, Linda Coutant, and Vanessa Pius. Original theme music by Chad Fisher. Learn more about this podcast and listen to the rest of our stories at thesecretlivesofparks.org. Read more about the joys and challenges of visiting Padre Island in the spring 2023 issue of National Parks Magazine. This beautiful, award-winning quarterly is an exclusive benefit of membership in the National Parks Conservation Association. Start your subscription at npca.org slash subscribe. For more than a century, the National Parks Conservation Association has been protecting and enhancing America's national parks for present and future generations. With more than 1.6 million members and supporters, NPCA is the nation's only independent, nonpartisan advocacy organization dedicated to protecting national parks. And we're proud of it, too. Learn more and join us at npca.org. I can't escape them. Once you're a beaver believer, there's no getting out of the cult. You know, you're, you're in it for life. Did you know that NPCA was just named one of the best places to work? And that we're hiring? Check out why so many of us love building our careers as advocates for national parks. Visit us at npca.org slash top workplace to learn more about our four-day work week, 
our generous benefits, and our inclusive work culture. That's npca.org slash top workplace.